It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Back by no one's demand but our own. And from our home office here in the Gulch in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee, sunny Nashville, Tennessee, on this Thursday. It is the 615 Sessions, brought to you by A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports, Nashville.com. Buck Rising, here with you, as always. Happy to be back with you before I head down to Atlanta for the weekend to take a little time away before we get kicked off uh, officially with Titans OTAs on Monday. Uh, But in the meantime, another great show for you guys. Uh, Speaking of great shows to come, actually, I've just received, as I walked back into my apartment today, my advanced copy of Marty Smith's new book, uh, Marty Smith from ESPN, The Marty Party, uh, and Marty Smith will be joining the 615 Sessions, I just found out, uh, in the coming months. So we look forward to having Marty. But in the meantime, today, we have former Titans wide receiver, former Falcons wide receiver, uh, Harry Douglas. Harry's down in Atlanta. Harry has had some uh, unique experiences with the Tennessee Titans. Marcus Mariota's first year here was his first year here. He's got some great insight on new offensive coordinator Arthur Smith and why Arthur is a player's favorite as a coach. Harry explains that in greater detail. We also get into the wide receivers and some of the stuff that Harry's done in terms of uh, what he's done in the absence of football in his life. He's not officially retired, uh, but that's coming up soon. And then Adam Vingan. Of the athletic, this is a this is a new thing for me, you get to be able to talk about all local sports, not just the Tennessee Titans. I still get to cover the Tennessee Titans on a day to day basis. That is my primary function, uh, as that is why I was hired by A to Z Sports. But Adam Mingan is going to come on. We're going to talk about a couple things uh, that we're we're, we're, li- we're lifting content essentially from the midday 180 over on 104.5 The Zone. Our friends Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, uh, and Paul Kaharski. They had two interesting conversations on the Midday 180 this week about a lack of reaction from Predators fans, a lack of criticism from Predators fans uh, that I thought was curious, the way that they broke it down. And I had Adam on to discuss that and the conversation that Midday had about what you want from sports journalism, from journalism in general, uh, but sports journalism here in 2019, here locally. Bingen and I cover the Predators and the Titans respectively. So we had a conversation about the access that were given by each team, uh, what they do well, what they do poorly. Uh, Vingan's thoughts on what Chad and Paul and Jonathan were talking about uh, this week in terms of the reaction. And we talk a little bit about our life down here in the Gulch and the Scooter Gang that we're getting ready to start and make t-shirts for. But in the meantime, we'll get to all that later. First up, former Titans wide receiver, Harry Douglas. Back here on the 615 Sessions, Buck Rising here with you, A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports, Nashville.com. Very excited uh, to have a former Titan on the line, Harry Douglas, former wide receiver for the Titans and the Falcons, joins us now on the program. Appreciate you taking the time, boss. No problem at all. I'm 
glad to be on. You can follow Harry on Twitter and Instagram at hdouglas83. If you feel like getting FOMO from all his world travels or being made hungry uh, by all the uh, creations that he whips up in the kitchen, it's uh, it's something. It, the travel is something I'm incredibly jealous of, Harry. But the food is is the thing that entices fat guys like me even more. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, I'm at home more now, so I'm able to play around with my foods a little bit more, cook a little bit more things. My wife is actually seven and a half, seven and a half months pregnant, so try to take take the load off her hands a little bit more. And travel wise, like I try to I try to get out of the country at least anywhere between five to seven times a year. Five to seven times a year, because you're 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 not officially retired, right, Harry? Uh, no, but I will be soon. Right. Okay. Well, that's we'll uh, we'll look forward to that announcement then. Uh, but in the absence of football, like five to seven times a year, uh, is quite quite a task, it would seem, uh, if you're trying to get out of the country. What's my favorite place that Harry Douglas uh, has been to so far in his travels? I say for me, it was uh, Rome and Capri, Italy. That's my number one. And I'll say my number two would 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 have to be Hong Kong. My number three would have to be Greece. My number four would be South Africa. And my number five would be Istanbul, Turkey. See, now all of those places, I, I haven't been, Harry. I, Rome is somewhere uh, that it's on 100% on my bucket list. Uh, I've, been, I've been fortunate enough to get out of the country a couple times. My dad's Egyptian, so I lived over there for a little uh, my family lives over there and I've been able to get around the Middle East uh, more than most is there a place that's on your bucket list that you haven't been able to get around to getting to yet so the whole um, the the Australia um, going up to Thailand and those places I haven't had a chance to go that uh, that far yet I uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to make it to Tokyo for the 2020 Olympics. That that would be the farthest that I've ever gone. But I hear Australia is crazy. I actually might be going to the 2020 Olympics also because you know I'm one of the guys who donate every year to the USA Rugby Sevens uh, team. So I travel. Actually, a lot of my trips I take is over there uh, while those guys are playing and supporting them. Harry Douglas here oh, yes, with us on the 615 Sessions. Uh, all this media you've been doing coupled, I mean, you've always had, and I didn't get a chance to cover you very much. Your last year here was my first year uh, covering the Titans. So, but I know that you're somebody who's had a great personality. Uh, I think, Harry, that you ought to try and push for a show on the Travel Channel with all this stuff you're doing. <laughs> I'll definitely make it very interesting. I definitely will have people watching, I'll tell you that. What would what would we call the Travel Channel show with Harry Douglas? Um, abroad and spicy. <laughs> <laughs> would it would it feature food? Because I I mean we we talked about your cooking. All, 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 see, always because I basically judge a place on if I like it or not by the food. What's the most unique thing that you've eaten? I wouldn't say unique because I am at that point in my life where I'm I'm trying to. Uh, step outside of my box a little bit more and eat a little bit uh, more things that I probably necessarily wouldn't eat. But I'll say my favorite place, I think, food-wise, is um, is Istanbul, Turkey, because everything is is fresh, it's natural. So when I come back to the U.S., I'm like, oh, man, here I go again. <laughs> Everything's <laughs> processed and packaged, uh, not 
Now, yeah. I, I always, I always think that the food overseas is better, and that's I'm probably a little biased in that regard. But I, it, it is, it is such a, it's kind of a downgrade to come home in that aspect. Yes, yes, it is. So I've got to get to a, a few football questions while I've got you on the line here, Harry, since you have a particularly unique insight into the local professional football team. I'm sure you know that Arthur Smith was promoted here uh, as offensive coordinator this season after Matt LaFleur left for the top job in Green Bay. Uh, Arthur, I know, wasn't your position coach, but he's somebody who's been with the organization for eight years. So I was wondering how much interaction you had with Arthur, uh, if any at all, and what what you might be able to tell us about him, because he's an awfully private dude, Um, it seems, publicly. Actually, me and Arthur, uh, we're really close. He was one of my favorite coaches, one of my favorite guys that was uh, able to coach me, and one of my favorite guys to actually be around uh, my time in Tennessee. But I think it's well-deserved because the hours, the time that, that Arthur put in that I seen while I was there, um, I, I feel like it's going to translate over to him being an OC. Um, he's very, very smart. He's dependable. He puts the time in. He works extremely hard. So I actually thought it was a great job by the organization hiring um, Arthur as an OC. It's it's interesting that you say that, Harry, that, that he's that he was one of your favorite coaches because that seems to be a theme across all the all the guys in that locker room that you talk to, be it on the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side of the ball, because he has experience in both. Is there outside of is it just the hard work that kind of uh, that kind of lends itself to you guys considering him uh, one of your one of your favorite coaches, or is there something? something unique about Arthur that we, we haven't been able to see yet? Well, I'll say his personality, first of all. You can come to him about anything. Um, it's not always do it my way or the highway with, with Art. It's more of uh, listening to the players and seeing their thoughts on things. Uh, like I said, he's very dependable. He actually he literally puts the time in. Literally puts the time in. Um, he's not satisfied. He's thankful for everything he has, but he's not satisfied. So he's... When you have people like that, they're always they're, they're always they're always going to work harder to, to 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 help their players get better and to help their team get better and the offense get better. And for for me, man, I, I think Art is just the, the the right guy for it. And one thing I love about Art also, I think he's going to be able to um, tune things down a little bit. Sometimes you know information can get a little wordy on the offensive side of the ball, but I think he's going to take things and going to. Um, drop it down a little bit more so guys can get in and out of the huddle, execute the play a lot faster and quicker. The comment you made, Harry, about Arthur taking into consideration the the feedback from the players, listening more to the players, it's something that I've always found fascinating that that's not, not more commonplace in the NFL, I guess in professional sports uh, and not uh-huh. just the NFL. Is is that is that a rarity? Uh, was that a rarity for you over the course of your coaching uh, or uh, playing playing career? Because I feel like well, that's the case for a lot of guys. Well, actually, I was I was actually lucky to be able to play for coaches who actually listen to their players. Because at the end of the day, you can draw X's and O's, and you can you can in your mind you can have things, and this is the way you want them. But in actuality, when you get out on the field, it may be something totally different. So for 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 me, able to able to have coaches to when I get back to the sidelines, able to take my feedback or we're in the meeting rooms, tell them, hey, I feel like we should do it this way because A, B, C, or D. Um, that's great to have. And um, one thing, but the, the the art has also art art's a younger guy. I mean, art, art we're close in age, but he can be able to relate to the younger players a lot more. Also, 
but guys just respect him 100% all around. Coaching turnover, Harry, is something that plagues the NFL, it seems, now more than ever. And I think fans vastly underestimate how, how bad that can be, how detrimental that can be uh, to you all as players in terms of growth and development. Uh, because this isn't a plug-and-play situation like Madden. I feel like people, Madden has kind of poisoned the well in terms of fan expectations uh, into how, they, into the, how they, they receive football. Do you think the fact that Marcus Mariota has now had a different play caller every year of his career uh, has kind of stunted his growth, or you, do you think it's just as much the injuries that have bogged him down? Well, I'll, I'll say, um, first of all, when, when you have a coaching change, it's uh, I'm not going to say it's easy on players, but at the same time, if you're having a coaching change and if it and if and it's, and it's a different offense every single time, then I think that's where the problem lies. Um, one thing that, that that I think that's happened in Tennessee that you actually you had guys besides Matt Lafleur, you have guys who was actually there beforehand, and Marcus had relationships with beforehand that allowed him to be more comfortable, and um. I feel like with Marcus, the main thing is that I think getting through a season healthy, being able to to, to be consistent on the field, be durable, and um, be there for his team every game. Uh, but I love Marcus, man. He has a great personality. He works hard. He's tremendously smart. And I think for him, it's just being able to be durable and be able to stay on the field so his team can have him there for every single game. How much do you keep in touch with the with the young wide receivers, Harry? Because I know Corey Davis uh, has said publicly that you're somebody who he relied on in a big way his rookie year. Mm-hmm. Ta- uh, Tajay Sharp has said that you, you're somebody that's been hugely supportive of him. Uh, I haven't talked to Taewon about it, but I'm sure he would say the same. How much do you still talk to those guys? I actually talk to those guys a lot. Um, I'm talking to probably three of them this week already. So uh, w- one thing – that's what's so brilliant and one thing I love about sports is that um, it's always bigger than football. When you can build these relationships and create these relationships, you're, you're friends and brothers for life. So those guys, though, they can call me whenever, and it's times I hit them up. But um, I felt like, man, it was my duty while I was there to be able to help those guys in any way possible, even now when I'm not there. Because like I said, I, I, I've been through thick and thin while in the NFL. I played 10 years, so... Uh, anytime I could be able to be a help to them and assist them, I'm going to do it 100%. I got to know what you made of Tajay's mixtape. I love it. <laughs> do you? First quarter? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a music guy, so... Well, you got to be down there in Atlanta. That's what I, I, need, I need your musical expertise here, Harry, because the auto-tune is something I'm not in on. All right, and there, was, there wasn't a ton of it on Tajay's mixtape, but there was enough that I was like, okay, I, I need somebody who's smarter about this than me. Well, let me tell you how I judge albums. The very first song on the album is the most important song on the album to, in, in my eyes. Because if the very first song on the album is not good, it's a great chance that I probably won't listen to the rest of the album. Oh, sure. And with and with Tavi's album, the first song, Go Crazy, I love it. I fell in love with it as soon as I heard Go Crazy. I, uh, I, I really enjoy I listen to it sometimes when I'm working out, and it's not just, you know, not just pandering. Uh, it's he's pretty good. I don't know. Did you see him freestyle on uh, on NFL Network on Good Morning Football? Actually, I did. And uh, I he told Taj, man, see, what's great about it is that one thing um, people outside of football got to understand is that we aren't just athletes. We have many other talents and many other things that we do with our lives or can do with our lives. So 
Um, I think it's great that we're now in an era where people can showcase other talents just besides football and people can be receptive of it. Do you think that's more of a recent trend, Harry, in terms of showing more personality in football? Because, like, I look, I look at just just because the NBA playoffs are going on now. I look, I look at football and basketball in comparison mm-hmm. to one another, and it seems like you know football just doesn't really breed an environment where it would be encouraged to show your personality, show that you're just more than just an athlete, as you mentioned. Because that's one of my favorite things to highlight about you guys is how much more dynamic you are as individuals uh, rather than just numbers and helmets on a football field. Do you think, feel like that environment is changing for football? I think it's actually changing um, overall for all sports. I think we're in a, a era now where um, everyone looks at it as being okay. For, uh, more so than when I was coming in or, or, or my previous years in the NFL, people looked at it as a distraction. I think it's uh, the world is changing. We have to evolve with how the world's changing uh, every day. So I think it's uh, one of those things where uh, fans actually love it when they can see personality because I always tell people, people want to be around personality. People people are drawn to personality. People love to see different things about you. Certainly. And that's why people football, gravitated towards you and during your time here. I know I know for a fact, and, and I'm certain in Atlanta. And – with the game of football, we have on helmets, so people don't get to see our faces uh, so much. So whenever you can uh, show personality and draw people to you um, without you having your helmet on, I think it's good, as long as it's in the right manner and fashion. I uh, I really hope so. I, I it's it's it makes my job more entertaining. I, uh, I I want more personality in sports. I think it. I think it just makes for it. I mean, it obviously makes for better content, but I think it just makes for more engaging stories, and uh, and we need more of that out here right now. He is yeah. Harry Douglas, former Falcons and Titans wide receiver at H Douglas eighty three on Twitter and Instagram. If you feel like checking out and following along, Harry, uh, along with Harry on his world travels, uh, my man, I appreciate you taking the time and and best of luck with uh, with the the little one on the way. I know you have one, cute little girl. Uh, at home right now and and best of luck with with everything that's to come all right thank you so much for having me back here on the 615 sessions buck rising here with you a to z sports a to z sports nashville.com now i don't do hockey i haven't done hockey Uh, i haven't done college football i haven't done vandy basketball all of this stuff is new to me to get to cover. But now with the new gig, I get to cover all local sports as well as the Titans on a day-to-day basis, which means I get to dick around on the internet with more of my friends, such as Adam Vingen of The Athletic, who joins me at the home office here in the Gulch in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. My brother, what's up? As I told you, Buck, I'm having this wave of nostalgia because I lived in this building where you live for my first three years living in Nashville, and we actually determined that your current apartment is two or three doors down from my old apartment of three years. So I'm just trying to do as you do. You got to the Gulch before I did. You got to this apartment building that shall remain nameless based on the commentary that exists in my Twitter mentions. Uh, for the sake for the sake of of my well being, uh, there is no home security that is yet advertising with the six one five sessions. But if they would like to do so, I could probably use it. So just just following your lead. I mean, it's a nice it's a nice spot. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's convenient for what I needed when I moved here. 
when I worked at the Tennessee, and now the Tennessee is no longer located at 1100 Broadway. I was about to say, uh, but down when, the block. But when I moved here, it was nice to be within walking distance of the office. I can walk. I could walk, and I, I live. I still live in the area, so I can continue to walk to Bridgestone Arena for games. Sure. And, uh, Centennial Sportsplex is only about a five-minute drive, so it's a, you know, this area has always been a little extra. It's gotten even more <laughs> extra over the past couple of years, um, but it is conveniently located, so that's why I stick around. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll get to the bird scooter gang that we're starting here in the Gulch, you and I, and we're making T-shirts, of course, for it. Uh, that will come later in the program, but Vingan and I have never done a show together, so this is, this is a new thing. We're going to approach it from a different angle uh, than I think anybody else is doing right now, also because it's May and we desperate, we both desperately need content, I'm certain, uh, because the hockey team kind of screwed everybody with an early exit, and now we are all scrounging for content. But we're going to hit a couple different topics uh, over the course of the next 30 minutes or so. Our friends over at the Midday 180 had a couple interesting topics that Vignan sent me uh, this week into reg- in regards to why the Predators... Uh, they think why the Predators are getting a pass on their early playoff exit, as well as the state of local sports media in 2019. We're uh, going to spend a little time comparing the access that is given by the Titans and the Predators as people who cover both teams, and then we'll go to the Gulch Gulch Bird Scooter Gang that we will will be selling T-shirts for momentarily. I know Vingan's very excited to talk about that most of all. Yeah, you know what? During my time in Nashville... How much do you hate the bird scooters? Be honest. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan. Um, you know, uh, I, have, I have never ridden one. You haven't. Perhaps it's a don't knock until you try it kind of thing. Vengen, I am the most crotchety 25-year-old you will ever meet in your life. And I swear to God, I was absolutely anti-bird scooter until the draft, as a matter of fact. And then just out of necessity to be able to get around conveniently... I got on one, and now I use them regularly. They're fantastic. Well, perhaps I'll I'll take a bird scooter to a you know a desolate location where there's not a lot of traffic, so I can learn how to ride it first. Test it out a little bit. Yeah, uh, you know, I went to bicycle camp when I was a kid. I did they a lot have of those too. I went. I I I can ride a bike, um, but when I was a kid, I did a lot of day camps, and one of the ones I did was bicycle camp. Where I learned to uh, to camp. better ride my bicycle, okay. and during uh, the lunch breaks, we would watch Pee Wee's Big Adventure because the plot of the movie is that Pee Wee Herman's bike has been stolen, so he tied into bicycle camp. But so maybe if there's a bird scooter camp, I, I can uh, enlist in that because, like I said, we have I a lot of free time on my hands. I think there should be an entirely hands. separate podcast devoted to Adam Vingan at bicycle camp. That will be part two of the Adam Vingan conversation. But let's start with the lack of noise, allegedly around the team that you cover, the Nashville Predators, and their early exit. They get bounced, game six against Dallas, uh, after what I guess could be considered, and you would have better frame of reference than me, I, I, I thought it was a bizarro year for them. They win their division, they make the playoffs, they're still, I would say, one of the more talented rosters in hockey, but there's times when you watch them during the regular season and even in the postseason uh, while they were in it, and they flat, flat out looked disinterested. They had one of the league's worst power plays. The uh, league's worst the, power the play. The league's worst power play uh, unit. And then, to me, it felt like people, like people were already in the mindset, it felt, uh, that this was something that was just kind of, okay, get me to the playoffs and then we'll see what happens. But by, by the time they lost in Game 5, like Game 6, the interest level felt like a fart in the wind. Like it just it, it, it evaporated. 
uh, in essence. I watched that game in a bar. There was nobody up for it at all. I didn't see many people out uh, in a way that we're normally accustomed to it. Um, and I feel like it's it's a result, obviously a result of the season that was, but there's there's a lack of, as Chad Withrow on Midday was alleging, a lack of disappointment, a lack of vocal disappointment by Preds fans in the way that people crush the Titans or people crush the Vols or people crush Vandy. Um, and the Preds haven't had a lot of that because they're the only team in the state that wins anything. Um, but people... So I guess what is your opinion of what Withrow is alleging? Why do you think... We'll start with it. We'll start there. What do you think of what Withrow is saying that Preds fans are not loud enough about their dissatisfaction, if indeed there is any, uh, with the local professional hockey team? Well, the first thing I would suggest is to go into my Twitter mentions over the past several months because it is a minefield. Yes, Preds um, Twitter, very loud. It is. There are some dark corners of Predators Twitter and social media in general. But, you know, as the person who, you know, I can I can say with, with confidence that, you know, I am the person most on the ground, so to speak, with the team. I've been around the team practically every day for the past four years. And I know that with uh, the switch in jobs last summer, you know, I didn't travel as much during the regular season. I wasn't covering the team this season from a beat perspective because that's no longer my my job description. But, you know, I, I like to think that I have the my finger on the pulse of the team as well as the fan base. Well, this is not an ass-kicking or ass-kissing moment for me, but you are the person that I go to most when I'm looking for the kind of coverage that I want. And we'll talk about coverage later on. But you're the person that I trust most. If I'm if I'm looking for Predators content, I'm coming to Adam Vingan. At Adam Vingan is where you can follow him on Twitter. So when I heard the midday 180s uh, conversation on the topic, what I found interesting was that Midday 180 wasn't the only show in Nashville on Sports Talk Radio that had a similar conversation. No, Jared and Floyd over yeah, Jared and Floyd doing the same thing. Exactly. Um, and I found that pretty interesting, the timing of it. And, of course, the obvious excuse, or reason rather, is that the Predators, to their benefit at least, were eliminated on the Monday of the NFL draft. Yeah. The first round was what? Friday? Th- that Thurs- Friday? Thursday. That night. Thursday. So... Three days before the first round of the NFL draft in Nashville, the Predators were eliminated from the playoffs. Yes. They held their end-of-season press conferences that Wednesday, the day before the first round of the NFL draft in Nashville. And what I found interesting about that day was that Wednesday was that was the first time since I've been covering the team that the Predators had everybody talk on the same day at the end of season press conferences. In the past, the players have talked, and then usually four to five days later, David Poyle and Peter Laviolette would address the media. Yes. On this day, they all talked at the same time, which was the first time that I can recall that happening since I've been here. Mm -hmm. Peter and David talked first, which was convenient because they, a lot of our questions were met with, well, we haven't had those conversations with the players yet. We haven't held those meetings. So yeah, we it were. Was, it was a cop out. We were left with a lot more questions than answers. And I don't blame the Predators for doing it that way. If, if I was managing their public relations department, I would suggest the same thing. Sure. I, I don't hold them, I don't, you know, hold them in contempt, or that's a 
That's no, like, I've been, I've been watching a lot of SVU lately, so that's <laughs> why. I are, are you really about to dro- drop a bunch of law and order uh, legalese? No, here, I'm not. But but I understand. SVU, great I, show. I understand the 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 reason why the predators chose to do it that no, way. No, you can't bash them for protecting themselves. Right. So I think I, I may be you know misrepresenting what what Chad said, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Because we'll I did play I, the audio back for people just so they have context. And I did listen around. to it yesterday, and I did listen to it again today just to make sure. But I think what Chad's point was was that the fact that there wasn't this tangible anger over the Predators' season... From fans. From fans. It was an indictment of Nashville as a hockey market. And he cited the television ratings for this Stanley Cup final that's going on. Uh, Nashville has not had much interest at all in the goings-on of the playoffs since the Predators have been eliminated, which to me seems like the most obvious thing in the world. But Withrow felt like he was using that as a basis for his argument as Nashville not being... And again... Perhaps we're misrepresenting. I'm sure Chad will reach out if he feels like we have misrepresented, and we welcome that conversation. Chad Withrow, as well as the rest of the guys, will be future guests on the 615 session, so we can talk about that then. But uh, it, it felt like it felt a little bit cherry-picked, but I, I understood what he was saying. Like, I got his point. I didn't necessarily like how he went about making the point. I'm going to start by reading off some TV ratings from this past week. This is in Nashville, Tennessee. Highest rated sporting events in Nashville for the past week. Warriors-Rockets game six was number one. Sunday round of the Byron Nelson PGA Tour was number two. Rockets-Warriors game five was three. Rockets-Warriors game four was four. Blazers-Nuggets game seven was five. There was not a single Stanley Cup playoff game in the top 15 of the local ratings. No surprise. Top 15? Top 15. Of sporting events. That is surprising. That is very surprising. Uh, I don't think it's surprising in the least. 1.1 rating, 16th, Blue Sharks. Primetime game, Saturday night, Channel 4. 16th. Served up on a platter. Crickets. I say this because this dude Derek on Twitter is going to respond and say that I, I bring this up because I'm trying to crush the Preds. I say this to prop the Preds up. All you talk about is ratings. We get it. it. Football's king. It's not a hockey town. Why do you have to bring this up? Why do you? Why do you constantly crush a team that's here locally trying their best? Why? Why do you do it? Why? This is my Twitter timeline. It's like a Nancy Kerrigan situation. I say this. I say this to prop up the Preds. We've seen this market blow up in May and June and April with Preds fever, right? This is a Preds market. It's a good Preds market. It's not the top thing. Yes, football is king. We all know that. It's a good Preds market. It's not a good hockey market. It's not a good NHL market. People aren't rushing to watch the Sharks and the Blues when the Preds are out of the playoffs. Another reason why the Preds royally screwed over this city by losing in the first round the way that they did. There's no other way around it. There is no enthusiasm for hockey. The NFL draft being here completely saved the Preds from all criticism from everyone out yes. there. We didn't spend any time on this show talking about it. A, because no one in this town cares about hockey outside the Preds. B, because the NFL draft bringing 600,000 people to this city saved the Preds from all criticism. 
I think that's BS. And here's why. Preds fans, you want this to be big time. You want there to be real stakes for this team. You want people to care about the on-ice product and not just talk about television ratings or attendance or sellout streaks or concessions. If you want that, then you need to have an actual negative reaction at times to things. I'm I'm not sensing that. And you know where I'm really not sensing that? The Nashville Predators organization. And I think with the Predators fan base, and I think you can say this about most hockey fan bases across the NHL with the obvious exceptions of teams in Canada or teams in our quote-unquote original six markets. Sure. Um, and even then, some of those original six quote-unquote markets also have this problem. Um, that the fan base of the Nashville Predators is, in the grand scheme of things, a vocal minority. Yes. Um, in terms of the diehard, I watch every game on Fox Sports Tennessee. I go to as many home games as I can. I absorb all of the content that people write about the team, whether it be my content or the Tennesseans or on the four checks or penalty box radio. People whatever. who are reading gamers every day right. during an 82-game regular season. Right. It's a vocal minority. Now, because I'm entrenched within that vocal minority, <laughs> yes. because it's part of my job, you know, I hear everything that the Predators fan base is saying, and I can tell you unequivocally that the Predators fan base is pissed beyond belief. The, the, the general sentiment amongst the Predators fan base that cares about the daily goings-on of this team is that this team was a major disappointment, not that that's a surprise to anybody, sure. and that there needs to be significant change. And that's really what I argued as well. I mean, I wrote what I'd like to think was a, a pretty informative yet scathing uh, column after they were eliminated in Game 6 where I basically said that this team, this Predators group, does not deserve another chance. They blew it by having the group come back in full um, after they won the President's Trophy and lost in the second round to Winnipeg. And something just seemed off about them this year, as you mentioned. Um, they did end up winning the division. Um, an argument can be made that it was kind of a fluky division title. Um, sure. Um, but anyway, um, and I believe that this group, as is, has grown stale. Um, I wouldn't say that it's a top-to-bottom thing, but I do think the roster could certainly use a refresh. And I think that's what David Boyle said he was going to explore. Um, he said there will be changes, so if we take him at his word, that this team won't look the same. And to his credit, you can you can uh, John Robinson and David Poyle both I think are pretty transparent for uh, professional sports executives. I think you can hold I think you can hold them to that. And David Poyle is not a man who reacts emotionally, but he really deeply cares, and he lives and dies by every game. Sure. Um, so. Um, because if you meet David, he's a very mild-mannered individual, you know, uh, you know, a, a great person. But you should see him watching games. You know, sometimes on the road, uh, the team's uh, executive box in the press box will be above where the visiting writers sit, and you can hear David screaming. You can hear him banging on the table. You can tell he gets 
very, very into these games. And I've, I really would love to write a story one day of just like sitting and observing him watching a game. I'm not sure if he'll ever let me do that, but it would be. Oh no, that's entirely too human. It would be, it would be, <laughs> it would be a great, it would be a great story. But going back to the original point, yes, the the Predators fan base at large, the 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 the, the fan base that deeply cares about this team is really upset. Um, the number of people who were clogging my timeline, and again, Twitter is not the end-all, be-all. No, Twitter is a beautiful disaster. It is. The number of people who were clogging my timeline that the Predators should fire Peter Laviolette, I mean, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't just after they lost to the Stars. It had been through half of the season. Well, and you had people in Philly who used to cover Laviolette chirping about, oh, get ready, Nashville, here it comes. Right, because there is a a widely held belief that Peter Laviolette has a shelf life, and he has shown it in the past. He coached the Carolina Hurricanes for roughly five years, the same thing with the Flyers. I mean, he's coached the Predators in terms of games longer than he's coached any team in the NHL. So there was certainly some wonder if – Peter had had met that shelf life in Nashville, but you know I reported, you know, a couple days after the season that the entire coaching staff was coming back, right. and the reaction to that, you know, was was pretty uh, was pretty heavy. Yeah, not uh, a lot of Dan Muse fans. This no, season. exactly, or Kevin McCarthy fans, right. the associate and assistant coach, respectively. Um, so, you know, I, I I certainly think that in the grand scheme of things. I don't think Nashville as a – I think Nashville – let me start this again. I feel like Nashville as a hockey market has gotten better every year that I've been here. You know, I, I have been lucky enough and fortunate enough to cover this team, I think, in the era of their greatest success, you know, 2015 through now. And we can talk about it all, the Stanley Cup final, a President's Trophy, the NHL All-Star Game. Trading for P.K. Subban, trading for Ryan Johansson. That's all, been my entire Predators experience since moving to Nashville right. four years ago. The Predators have had an unparalleled run of, pers- of franchise success over the past four years, and I've been lucky enough to be on the ground for that. Um, but I still do think that Nashville as a market, as a casual sports market, I believe the Predators still struggle to capture the attention of the casual sports fan. And it may just be because it's hockey in the South. Yes. And I know that's the, the easy throwaway line, but I do think there's some legitimacy to that. Oh, sometimes it can be that simple, Vingan. Like, I look, I look at the Stanley Cup run, and I think, okay, this is, this is the anomaly. This is not going to be the precedent. Like, people, it's a giant party, the same way the draft, except at the draft on a much bigger scale. But still, the Stanley Cup was insane down here. It's, it set the table for things like the draft. But you looked at all the excitement around, pe- around people and around the hockey team, and to me, just taking a step back from, like, an analyst perspective, you, you look at that and you say, well, no, of course people are going to be attracted to the bright, shiny, fun thing, and then that's going to dissipate over time because it's not it's, – I mean, it could never look like that again. And this is something that is that is unparalleled in the history of this particular franchise and in this city. And of course, they're going to embrace it. But once things like that start to fade away, once you start to regress to the mean, well, then those those I don't want to call. I mean, you can call them bandwagon fans because they're just hanging out for because they want to be a part of the fun thing that's going on. That's what it's the same thing with the Preds home environment, right? You don't have to like hockey to have fun at a Preds game. Uh, so I look at that, and I that's the way that I process it. Like, they're just regressing to the mean. The people who have been day ones and who follow the sport and who know 
you know, who can break down hockey from an X's and O's perspective. Um, they're going to be the ones who are in your mentions. They're going to be the ones who are pissed off at, uh, during the season, but they're still going to be the minority, as you're saying. This is not, this is not, it, it's not an NFL fan base. It's still the NHL. It's still hockey in the South, and sometimes it can be as simple as that. Well, the, the Predators run to the Stanley Cup final reminded me a lot of, of my previous time before I moved here. I lived in Washington, D.C. for close to eight years. I went to school there, and then I covered the Capitals for about four years, from 2011 through 2015. And I feel that the Capitals and Predators fan bases, and again, you can make the argument about a lot of fan bases in the NHL, so I don't just want to you know, pigeonhole these two. Sure. But when the Capitals, when I remember when I got to Washington, I was a junior in, excuse me, junior, a freshman in college, in 2007, um, 2007, 2008, that was the first time that the Alex Ovechkin Capitals made the playoffs. Um, and of course, then they continued to make the playoffs with regularity. And of course, they won the Stanley Cup last season. Um, but the Predators run to the Stanley Cup final reminded me of those early Ovechkin days in Washington in the sense that Washington and Nashville are similar in the sense that they're both event-based towns. Yes. This is, Nashville is a city where we've got a lot of great nightlife. We've got a lot of great restaurants. We've got a lot of great concert venues. So the hotness in 2017, in, in April, May, and June was to be around the Predators. They were the, they were the thing. It was, it, was, it was the cool thing to do to go downtown and watch a game outside of the arena. It was a cool thing to do to buy a smash hat. It was a cool yeah, thing smash. to do to go to you know, a Predators-approved, uh, uh, as they like to call it, a Predators-approved bar during the road games in the playoffs and watch games with your friends. Yeah. It was the cool thing to do. But just like... A five-star restaurant opening, just like uh, a run at the Ryman of a certain musical artist. After a while, the interest dies down. Now, do I think that the Predators' run to the Stanley Cup final created a a fan base or a, a large section of the fan base that continues to uh, continues to be there? Absolutely. Sure. I mean, it was a you know that and the the trade of PK Subban uh, brought. So many eyes to Nashville that weren't there before. You know, I really do think that 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 run will have always will have a tangible effect, a positive effect on this franchise, just in terms of its visibility. But just like every other, I, and I say this, and I don't say this to be, you know, to be um, critical or um, no, they can just rip their ass. <laughs> <laughs> every fad eventually fades. Yeah. For a lot of people, the Predators in 2017 were a fad. Now, there are people who have continued to watch the team. There are people who came in at that time and continue to watch the team. Um, but to the general in the general sports landscape, the Predators, I think, are a fad. Um, that again, that does that is not to take away from how passionate a lot of their fans are, because I see it every day, good yeah. and bad. There are great, passionate fans of the Nashville Predators, and it's been fun, it's been fun to work with them and around them and get to know them. Um, but certainly, you know, I think to Chad Withrow's point that those are not the, you know, those people are not necessarily going to call up Sports Talk Radio, especially with respect to 104.5. They're not going to call up 104.5 and talk about it because 104.5 
doesn't dedicate a significant portion of their time to talking about the Predators. Right. Now, Midday 180, they do have David Poyle on weekly, and it's always an interesting segment. Um, but, <laughs> Inter- interesting from what perspective? Well, I do think, you know, I, I find it interesting. Well, because I, find, I usually think that they are able to get good material from David Poyle, and I think part of it is just because they're sort of removed from it. Yes. You know, they're not, you know, it's not me asking the questions and I need to know every minute detail. You know, I think they, I, I think that they do, a, they've done a great job uh, of getting David Poyle to open up because sometimes he can be close to the vest. And, uh, you know, I think it's a credit to them for being able to do that. Um, but, you know, their station does not dedicate a significant portion of time to talking about hockey or the Predators. So they're not calling the midday 180 to talk about the Predators. So I feel like they're... And they're only lighting up Withrow and Hutton and Kaharski's Twitter mentions when they're when they're talking about the Preds right. in the way that they do, right? You're just ripping on hockey because this is the Titans flagship or you're ripping on hockey because it's... Uh, or or the, on the Preds because it's hockey in the South. Right. So I do think that the, the sample, you know, isn't necessarily there for them. Yeah. But I, I, I do think... It was a very interesting conversation. I suggest people go and listen to it. Um, but, um, you know, certainly I, I do think that based on my experience, um, just leading into the playoffs and the aftermath of the playoffs, that the Predators fan base is, is angsty. Um, they feel that this team has regressed and they feel that this team's window, I know that the idea of a championship window is so nebulous, but you know, they feel that this team's window is shrinking. Personally, I feel that this team's window coincides with the two years that the Predators tacked on to Pecorine's contract. Uh, I think that as long as he's on this team, they still have a window, whether it's a large, whether it's a, a it's a, you know, a, a significant window in terms of do they really have a chance? Are they really considered among the top tier of teams? That's another conversation. Right. But, but I how do, long, how long realistically until he hits that wall, you know? you know, for, you know, for being a 36 year old goaltender who will be 37 in November, he continues to play at a high level. Absolutely. So, um, and, and his postseason, his numbers were not great, but I blame that more on the team's play in front of him than his play in particular. Um, so, I do think that this city certainly would benefit from a, another lengthy Predators run to, to further fortify this fan base as it was when they went to the cup final in 2017 so that that vocal minority becomes louder. Right. But I, it, I certainly do believe that it's there. I just think that if you're not entrenched in it, you're not necessarily going to go looking for it. So that, that, that would be my counter-argument to the conversation. That and they, the day and when they talked had. about baseball ratings in comparison with like the NBA and the NHL right now. And, and the baseball comparison is one that I think is, is fair if you're, if you're going to look at it quantifiably. Because it's not, just, it's not just TV that hockey's taking a hit here locally. I know because of streaming at A to Z. And I know because I used to work for their flagship station, the radio station, that this is not doing numbers right now. If you are looking at this from the baseball angle of it, the team is going to rate highly, and their, van, their fans are going to be passionate locally. It's, 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 it's a regional sport, and so too, I would call it a regional sport everywhere but Canada, and like you were saying, the original six. Um, it, it ties into that. It's just not going, it's not going to bring in the casual sports fan unless there are events like the Stanley Cup or like a, a, at least a sustained playoff run. I would be curious to see what the 
what the ratings in Nashville will be for the Stanley Cup final. Because, you know, I'll admit that, you know, after the Predators were eliminated, I, I, I watched the second round, but usually... I, I take a, a round off. Like I was I'm about not, to say, I, you, how do you not need like yeah. a month to decompress? <laughs> I usually things? take like, like, I can't do an 80. I can't do 16 games, right. much less 82. I do. I, I take a round off. You know, I, I'll watch some of the games. I'll always watch the highlights. I'll, I'll read about the games afterwards, but I won't take the time to sit down and devote, hey, I'm going to watch the Stars play the Blues in game one of the second round. You know, usually in the conference final where the NHL is now in the Stanley Cup final, it will be appointment viewing for me. Yeah. But I will be, I'm curious to see what those numbers are. And when you look at the numbers for NBC, a lot of the same teams are at the top. I mean, a lot of cities, excuse me, are at the top. I mean, the NHL has to be kicking themselves that the Buffalo Sabres are the team that's had the longest playoff drought in the National Hockey League. Now that the Carolina Hurricanes are in the playoffs and they're about to be they're gonna potentially be so swept when Carolina's in the final. They're, well, they're <laughs> well they're down three nothing, so I don't think that's going to happen. But you know, Boston will do great ratings if, if Boston closes out that series as they are expected to. But Buffalo now has the, the Buffalo the Buffalo Sabers. Easy for me to say have the longest active postseason drought in right. the league. And every time you look at ratings for the NHL. Buffalo is always at the top because that market is nuts for hockey. But that market is sort of an outlier. There aren't very many markets. Like even the, even Chicago, for example. I mean, the Blackhawks had a huge run of success. I believe it was three cups in six years. Yes. People, when, when the Hawks were at their lowest, their games were blacked out on local television. That's how bad they were. Yeah. And then they became this powerhouse and over the past couple of years really starting with them being swept by the predators in the first round of the 2017 stanley cup playoffs they've missed the playoffs each of the past two years the fans in chicago still go to the games at united center it's still a great atmosphere but the hawks have plummeted back down the hierarchy of chicago sports they were really never at the top even at their prime because the, the Bears were still more important and the Cubs were still more important. And, you know, I'm not sure where the Bulls are in that. In that uh, uh, nowhere in close for right. a very long time. Right. But, you know, even the even Chicago. I mean, I can't imagine. I, I don't know. I have the ratings in front of me, but I don't think Chicago was on that list. Or if they were, they were near the bottom. I believe I believe they were below Nashville. So, I mean, it's not just the quote-unquote non-traditional markets that struggle. I mean, Chicago well, this, is struggling as well. This is in any sport, right? It's just a matter of sustaining some modicum of su su success, like you're talking about, to entrench a fan base. Like, look at the Titans. It's the NFL, right? It's supposed to be the big thing. But if you don't do anything outside of playing football and you don't play football well for about half of your existence, for the Titans in that case, people become apathetic and then you start losing your P1 uh, audience, if, if we're going to talk in sports media terms, or that stop showing up to games. But even then, it takes some time, right? There has to be – you have to atrophy as a fan base because of what the team is doing on the field or on the ice. The Titans are a great example of that. The Preds aren't nearly that close, but it's it's a good comparison in terms of the in terms of the interest level and how it wanes and ebbs and flows. Right, the Predators have done a magnificent job of marketing themselves. Sean they, they, Henry is very very yeah, good at his Sean job. Sean Henry the is is fantastic at what he does and he's and the team has done a great job of marketing itself around town. This is from a complete outsider's perspective because, you know, outside of a couple week one games and some training camp practices during my previous job at the Tennessee, and I haven't really been around the Titans that much. Mm -hmm. The Titans, in my opinion, and maybe I'm wrong, 
you know, sort of what you were mentioning, Buck, they think, I, I get the sense that, it, hey, it, it's football in Nashville. Just plop a football on the field, it'll, it, it'll sell. For a long time, it felt that way. And, and I feel like, you know, because the team hasn't, you know, wasn't successful for a long time, that that was, that was a detriment to them. And I even feel that even though the team has, has been on the upswing and they've made the playoffs and they've come close to making the playoffs, um, you know, I, I feel like I still that there's more to be desired from the Titans marketing themselves as a franchise because there are in the NFL, I think you can get away with that if you are a team with a long run of success, you know, the Patriots, the Packers, the Bears. Or you know, even or, if you're a, a team that's been around for longer than 20 years, right. you cannot you cannot exist. You cannot be one of the newer teams in the league, newer, you know, with, within the context of of the 32 teams. Uh, you can't be one of the newer teams in the league. You can't have sucked for almost half your existence, and you can't have uh, the, your most marketable star be a left tackle chugging beer at a Predators game. Right. Like they, you know, they the Preds have Subban, who can be one of the big, biggest uh, stars in the who is one of the biggest stars in the sport. He's one of the most recognizable recognizable people in the NHL. And the Titans have Marcus Mariota, who is very, very not. I mean borderline uncomfortable in public. God bless him. Yeah, I it's always prefaced by God bless him. Wonderful kid. Doesn't like to be out. Or not doesn't like to be out, but the interaction is not, he's not PK in terms of personality. He's not somebody that you can sell to the casual sports fan because Marcus isn't somebody who's, who's putting himself out there in a way that you need from a 25-year-old franchise quarterback. Right, and, and Taylor Luan is a great personality. Yes. You know, I, I, I enjoy his antics. I enjoy, I mean, I was at the training camp practice, I think, after he signed his contract and he showed up in the boss hog outfit, right, with the white suit and the cowboy hat. One of the most memorable uh, experiences I've had in sports. That media. was fun. It was fun to be there and kind of watch it from afar, not being entrenched with the Titans, yeah. but... You know, the, the problem is, is that, as you mentioned, it's hard to sell your team when your most marketable star is an offensive tackle yeah. or an offensive lineman. Yeah, yeah. You know, people it, it people got to care. People got to care about the position. It's got to be something sexy. It's got to be wide receiver. It's got to right. be running back. It's got to be it would be if, if Taylor Lewan was the quarterback or Marcus <laughs> had Taylor's personality, they would be in great shape. You know, but yeah. Anyway, and it, we, we digress. Uh, the, the thing, though, that comes back to the larger conversation about the criticism is something that the midday 180 also hit on that we wanted to talk about. And that is the, the, the coverage of local teams, uh, the, and the way that it skews the conversation. Now I can't remember which one of the three of them said that the predators have, I think, uh, uh, said that the predators have a lot of homers that cover them, uh, is the way to put that. And that, in, in my opinion, and I'm somebody who's worked for their radio network, so my, I may be a little biased, but I think that's absolutely so. Like, I remember when, when, the, Vegas, when the Vegas Golden Knights Twitter uh, handle tweeted out that there was applause in the Predators press box, that's absolutely something I believe because I know a lot of people that cover the team, and that's, you know, that's just the case. They're fans of the team. I think that softens the conversation around the Predators. Now, you're not somebody, you, John Glennon, I mean, I will, I will name names. In terms of in terms of people who I trust and don't trust to be unbiased in their opinion, uh, but I do think the Predators suffer from that in in terms of in turn. Oh, actually, I don't know if they suffer from that because I don't know if I don't think people care if the coverage is is team friendly. Like I think people, I think just as many people read Jimmy Wyatt at TitansOnline.com 
because they don't they're not looking for the for the bashing of their team after a loss. They're looking to move on and get the feel good. Uh, so I think that's something that softened the conversation around the Preds three weeks after the fact, because this is what we have to talk about in May with with an absence of Predators hockey and now that the draft has passed. Uh, but I, I, I'm curious as to how somebody like you experiences that without putting you in a bad position. Well, it's an interesting question and it's an interesting topic. And when I think of the Predators media core, it's a rather small group of people you know, who are around the team at every, at least every home game, you know, because, you know, for the longest time during my time at the Tennessean, I was the only full-time reporter employed in this city whose job it was to cover that team on a daily basis. Right. You know, I was the only independent reporter traveling to cover the Nashville Predators. And I mean, that's changed now that I've left the Tennessean because the Tennessean now has Paul Scribina, who does my previous job and he travels um, just as I used to. Um, but for the, for the previous, you know, for the previous three years of my time in Nashville, I was the only person who traveled to cover the team. So if you include the people who are around the team every day, whether it's at every home game or at most practices or what have you, it's a small group. And a lot of the people who are involved in the media here grew up here, were raised here, were watched the Predators, fell in love fell in love with hockey by watching the Predators. And of course, you know, you're going to have your bias, you're going to have your biases when that's the case. And it's not easy to separate yourself. I mean, full disclosure. I mean, no, I we're think, all biased about our right, favorite teams. Right. Full disclosure. I mean, I don't, I think people who, who, who have followed me for, for years know this. I grew up a Washington Capitals fan. I mean, I was very happy when they won the Stanley Cup. I was happy, you know, uh, you know, the kid in me was happy that they won because it was their first Stanley Cup, but the reporter in me was happy because I covered a lot of the guys and I had to cover a lot of their disappointing first and second round exits. So <laughs> I, was very, I was very happy to see a player like Alex Ovechkin win the Stanley Cup or Nicholas Backstrom or Braden Holpe. But, you know, I covered the Capitals. And I was very glad that they won just because of Ovechkin's drunken tour after. <laughs> right, that, that was, that was that one was, of the greatest things It was the greatest thing sports. ever. Just the number of people who I know in Washington who followed him around as he was diving into Georgetown fountains. I and doing, still don't think he's sober, but you know. No, well, <laughs> may have had something. He had a great season, you know, so whatever, uh, whatever he was doing worked for him. But I digress. <laughs> um, you know, I would venture to say that if you went back, and I, I don't want you to do this because my writing back then was terrible. It may still be, but no. it's less so now. You're too, like, you're too much. I... I, you could not, you would not have been able to tell that I was a fan of the Washington Capitals growing up, based on the way that I wrote about the team. Um, and I actually think that in some ways it helped me because I was so passionate about them that, like, when they did something I didn't like, you know, the fire burned a little bit more, and yeah. and you know, I, I wanted to to let them let them have it. But um, you know, I, I do think that there is a dearth of critical Predators coverage in this town. Um, I, I will say that that isn't to say that it's that, you know, it's not out there. Um, you know, I, I do, you know, I think that, you know, I have shown through my time here that I will praise the team when it's called for and I will criticize them when it's called for. I used to get tweets from people that included the Tennesseans handle asking them to fire me because they, because there were people who were reading me that said, you should hire someone who actually likes the team that they cover. Oh no, I get Vingan, I get that all the time. It's not as I'm my job to like the team. I don't it's know my job. You know, get that. I you know, I always I always 
I feel like the biggest misconception in sports journalism from people who don't understand sports journalism. Now we're getting into inside baseball here. I, well, listen, it's May. Now is the time right. for inside baseball. People will ask me, are you, aren't you supposed to be a fan of the team you cover? My personal opinion is absolutely not. I don't think that, you know, I, I do not root for the Nashville Predators. Whether they win or lose is irrelevant to me. For me, it's the, I root for the best story. So, but at the same time, them being successful is better for me because the more, the better they do, the more people are interested in reading what I have to say. Yeah. I mean, the Stanley Cup final run from a selfish standpoint was great for me because a lot of people were tuning into the Predators for the first time and they really didn't have very many places to go to get the coverage. So they were coming to me. I Same mean, for it, me it, with it, the NFL draft. Yeah, it was I, great. I ate that week. It was great. <laughs> right, exactly. You were on ESPN, for God's sake. So I, you know, that was beneficial to me. So, you know, there are people in, the, you know, in this town who, who do cover the Predators from a critical slant. I mean, I, I, you know, I count myself as one of them. Robbie Stanley. You know, my dear friend. Yeah, Rob, you know, my, Robbie. My does, boy, Robert. He is. Uh, he's a. He's a league employee. Writes yes. for NHL.com. So he can't. He's absolutely. He's right. Absolutely because, unbiased in his coverage. Because he because he works for the league, he can't write those things. He has to toe. The, I were, used to write for the NHL as well. Yeah. So you have to toe the company line, which Robbie does when he writes, but when on Twitter and on the radio, I think he tells it like it is and. You know, and people appreciate him right. for that. So I, I do think, you know, you know I, I certainly would not qualify myself as a homer whatsoever. But I think it's an interesting topic, and it was what the Midday Show was talking about today, was, you know, what are you looking for? You know, I do think that there is a, a large section of the Predators fan base that wants the positive spin for everything. And I do think that... Any fan base. Right, right. I do think, though, that the the Predators being the you know the cute little Southern hockey team for the first twelve to fifteen years of their existence, yeah, being a novelty, right? It, it you know no one criticized them, right, because they may have been that quote unquote novelty, or you know they were the little team that could and tried, and you know hey they made the playoffs, that's a great accomplishment, we should oh, be look, happy. They finally beat Detroit, right? I do think that sort of did them a disservice because once they finally became good and people were paying more attention to them, that critical coverage wasn't there. Yeah. You know, you, you kind of had to really dig for it. And I do think that there is more critical coverage of the Predators now than there ever has been. But I do believe that most of the Predators fan base, the casual fan base, wants the positive slant. They, they still may view that team as the little team that could, even though they're not necessarily that anymore. So there are people who may not like to read what I write because I'm, quote-unquote, taking the team down. But there are, you know, there are people who I serve that come to me because they want, you know, they want the unbiased, you know, right-down-the-middle coverage. There are people who don't want any negative coverage of the team at all, and there are plenty of people and blogs and reporters who, who can give you that. Yes. And I do not, I do not fault them for that. I, I do not criticize them for that. You know, that's not how I choose to cover the team, but there are people who want that coverage of the team. And uh, certainly, you know, I, you know I, I, think that this, I think that this fan base is really well served with a bunch of different voices from different backgrounds. Um, but, you know, the, in terms of the critical coverage, there isn't a lot of it. And, you know, I certainly believe that it is part of my responsibility to provide that.
Yeah, and and it's I think I like like I said when we started, you are the person that I go to, one of the people I go to, uh, when I'm looking for unbiased when I when I want to understand better about what's going on. I want honesty, and I just. I don't know how much room there is for honesty in sports coverage with, with, the, with the ability of people to dive down rabbit holes and find peop- more people that agree and think the same way that they do on, in, on places like Twitter. Uh, the internet has become a terrible place for you to just bury your head in the sand and say, no, I don't want to think that way. I don't want to think any other way than I've previously thought. I'm just going to surround myself with more people that think the way I do and thus, you know, narrow my mindset and then dig my heels in when somebody, quote unquote, tears down the team when sometimes the team needs to be torn down. Right. I'm not the same way you're not a fan of, of the Predators. I'm not a fan of the Tennessee Titans. I root for good people. I root for good stories. Uh, but if you... Play shitty football, and if your every Sunday looks like 13 to 10, I'm going to torch you because it's a terrible uh, viewing experience, and people need to know what they're watching and understand, even as the team is successful or has been successful over the past three years, that you need to know how it can be better because 9 and 7 is just a miserable existence that nobody wants to be a part of. Right, and we'll get into this topic, I think, next, but you know, as you mentioned, you root for good people. You know, the locker room in any sport is an ecosystem. Yeah. And it's no different than anybody who's listening to this that goes to a, a normal nine to five job where you're going to have people that you work for or work with every day that you just don't like. You know, it's just because you, your personalities are too opposed or you, they just rub you the wrong way. There are going to be people that you don't get along with. Now, in my time covering two hockey teams over the past seven to eight years, there have been plenty of players that played for both the Capitals and the Predators who I didn't get along with. I mean, there are people. I'm sure those. I'm sure there are players in that current dressing room that may not find me to be their cup of tea. I don't think Derek Henry likes me very much. <laughs> but when when you get down to it, that's just natural. Yep. And but you do develop relationships with certain guys um, that. You know, are you know that you, you know, that you hold on to? I mean, for example, I mean, I will forever be a fan of Shea Weber. You know, I know that Shea Weber wasn't the the most media friendly. You know, he he, he not he, he he's a lot like Marcus Mariota, which is funny because now he's the captain of one of the most historic franchises in the NHL, right. and he's gotten a lot better at it over the past three years. I've, I've as I've seen from afar and up close, but. You know, I will forever be a fan of Shea Weber. I will always root for Shea Weber. He's a he's a great human being. We had a great relationship. You know, I went up to Montreal early this season to do a story on him being the captain of the Canadians, and it was really nice just to see him and to talk to him. I mean, I feel that way about Pecorine. I mean, Pecorine, hands down, is the nicest pro athlete I've ever interacted with. Yes. And I want the Predators to win a Stanley Cup because I want him to be able to do it before his career ends because he's such a great person. Sure. It's a totally natural thing, right? Because as, as like these guys are inadvertently our coworkers. Whether right. they, want to be. they don't see it that way. No, but we certainly do. not. But I mean, this is, I spend, I spend more time and I'm sure you spend more time in locker rooms than you do in a home office because we both work from home. Uh, in essence, this is, this is the communal 
uh, feeling of what I imagine most normal workplaces to be like, and you're going to rub people the wrong way, and you're also going to develop relationships, as you said. It doesn't mean you can't, you can't be critical of them when the time comes, and it doesn't mean that you're friends with them, but it means that you can work with them on a, on a regular basis, that it doesn't need to be contentious, and as long as you're doing your job the right way, be it you, me, or anybody else who covers uh, a sports team, uh, my, my approach has always been, you know, I'm going to come talk to you first as a player or as a coach before I go and rip you for something that you've done because I want to make sure that I don't have any blind spots because I know that you know more about football than I do and there may be something on a play that I've missed. So if you would like the opportunity to explain to me what happened so that I can better form my opinion and then better inform the audience, then that's bo- great for both of us. I think they respect that as players and I, I, I appreciate them being willing to lend their insight uh, and, and understanding when I need to be critical. I'm sure you experience the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for example, there's been a lot of talk. We're talking about the vocal minority of Predators fans. There's been a lot of talk throughout the season that Peter Laviolette's system is not suited for his current roster. And part of the reason why they struggled was because he failed to adapt. Okay. Now, personally, I do not claim to be an expert on the nuances of Peter's philosophy. You know, I, I, have, the ba- I have a basic understanding of how it's supposed to work. But in terms of every little detail, I do not claim to be an expert on that because that's just not my level of expertise. That's not where my expertise is in covering hockey. Um, you know, you know, Peter Laviolette. You know, I, I, you know, our relationship over four years. I feel like we're we're at a place of I like to call it grudging respect. <laughs> like I, I like. I feel like all of his emotions are grudging. <laughs> right. I, I feel like we are at a place of grudging respect, where you know, I, I am sure over my time in four years of being the primary reporter that I've gotten on it. I know I've gotten on his nerves sure. because him and I have had conversations where he's expressed that I've gotten on his nerves. About we all things. get phone calls and nasty texts. Right. So, <laughs> but you know, but like, I, I think that I, mean, I have the utmost respect for Peter. You know, he's, he is a Stanley cup winning coach. He's one of what four coaches to take three different teams to a Stanley cup final. That says something. He's good at his you job. Know, I do think, that you know, while he may not like some of the questions I ask or the angles I like to take with my stories, you know, I do feel that after being around him almost every day for four years, there's a place. Well, you know, I'm not getting rid of this guy, and he's here every day, so I might as well, you know, deal with it. Find a way to deal right. with it. So you know, if, if Peter, you know, Peter is not the the most, uh, you know, open person. You know, I, I think would, I've clocked one it, of his press conferences at 45 seconds. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, he had a five-minute and 10-second response to the power play on his end-of-season press conference that was probably longer than 85 to 90% of his press conferences after games. I'd say so. Um, but, um, you know, if he were, you know, if he would wanted to, you know, sit down with me and break down these things, I'd be happy to do it. I don't think there's an interest on his side to do that. But So I have to learn in other ways to do that. But... You know, I, I do think that they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, you, you sort of become the part of the scenery. I mean, like, I don't really, I, I, you know, the, the players in that room are used to seeing me, so I don't really stick out, you know, but I, I do think that, you know, I, I, as you mentioned, like you can be critical of a team if you're there every day. Yes. I mean, if you write a story that's critical of a player, I mean, this is journalism 101, you show up the next day and if nothing happens, so be it, but you were there. 
And for the most part, in my give them the opportunity to say, "Hey, I've got a problem with what the hell you just wrote or said or what podcasted or whatever." Right. You know. So you know, in in my time in Nashville, there have only been a handful of times where a player, either through public relations or the player themselves, has expressed um, dismay or you know anger or whatever verb you want to whatever average whatever adjective you want to use with something I've written and you know you talk it out and you squash it and that's it I mean at the end of the day you're not trying to you know harm their character or to belittle them your your job is to be an, an analyst as well as a reporter sometimes and you know that's just part of the job but I know you wanted to talk about access Oh hell, we don't have time, Megan. You we got a <laughs> trivia game to get to here. We have we have a we have a we have five minutes. Between well, yeah, okay. In five minutes we can talk about the access because because between you and Harry Douglas, who was on the show earlier, I'm gonna have like an hour and a half long podcast. That's fine. <laughs> we you needed content. So, you know, we you, you were curious about how access works in the NHL yeah, versus the because NFL. I I'm I don't know how, how people and Preds fans respond or or if you are critical of the access that you're given frankly i'm not sure what your position is on the on the level of access that the predators give well, i'm, I, I'm I, only basically I'm, <laughs> familiar with right with their uh, their pr staff but i know people get very very angry at us as people who cover the titans when we are critical or when we complain about the way that things have been changed around on us under mike vrabel well i always want more access every journalist wants more access sure. You know, what's interesting to me about the NFL versus the NHL, because as I mentioned to you, I did cover, you know, I've covered training camps in the past, is, um, you know, the, the main difference is this. The Titans locker room, that's their sanctuary. That's where, they, that's where they take their pads off. That's where they check their phones. That's where they shower. That's where they get dressed. That's where they play video games. That's where they watch TV. That's like, where they play cards. Right. All of it. It all happens in that room. So I know that you get, what, 45 minutes, right, of open? 45 minutes, uh, three days a week. So you get the time to be in there for a lengthy period of time and to talk to these players, and they're usually all lingering. Mm-hmm. So you can get them. For, and, and, you know, during training camp, that's 90 players. You know, what's the full roster? 53, right? Right. The, in the NHL, the max roster is 23. And most teams don't carry 23. So at most, you usually have somewhere between 20 and 23 guys in a hockey dressing room. In that dressing room in hockey, all the players do there is take off their pads and skates. They change in a different room. They shower in a different room. There's a, there's a separate lounge that we're not given access to. Okay. So, and a lot of NFL teams have this as well. Right. The Titans are unique in the fact that this, this is one communal space. Right. So you know the access is limited because... There aren't as many players, and they try to get in and out as quickly as possible. Sure. So I, I believe the rule is, based on the guidelines from the Professional Hockey Writers Association, I may have this wrong, but when the first player, from, when, from the time when the first player leaves the ice surface at a practice, that starts a five-minute clock. From five minutes from when that first person leaves the ice surface, the dressing room has to be open. So that means if a player, if, if players continue to linger on the ice and the dressing room is open, we can be in there when they come in. Yeah. And, but there are certain players who like to get off the ice quickly as soon as they can, and they use that five minutes to get out of dodge. So when we get in there, they're not in there. That happens more often than not with a couple of guys on the team, and it usually every year it's a few guys. I mean, it changes every year. There are a few guys that tend to operate that way. So, you know, sometimes you're, you know, you're, you're talking to a lot of the same people. Um, but, you know, usually our time in the hockey dressing room, 
maybe if we're lucky is 15 to 20 minutes. And a lot of the time you're, you know, you're lingering or you're talking to a guy that stays on the ice late. He may be a, you know, a depth player or a scratch, but like, you know, a lot of times you don't really have as much time to get what you need. So a lot of times you're sort of, you know, squirreling things away. I'm going to talk to this player today and I'm going to stake out this guy tomorrow. Yeah, and, you're, you're prioritizing. Right. So the act, I mean, I, I, I'm always an advocate for more access. And for the most part, the predators are fine at, you know, if you, you know, if you have a big idea, they'll work with you to make it work. But if you're just in a practice dressing room and you just need something, you know, you're not looking for anything major. You don't really have that much time. So you've got to be very particular with what you're looking for. Yeah. With, with Mike Vrabel and the Titans, because I, I, their, their PR staff has been nothing but good to me. Um, so it's not, it's not a criticism I have of them. They're just, they're following the, the rules that are instituted. And I'm sure there are recommendations that they've made that, that the coaching staffs, be it Vrabel, Malarkey, Fisher, Munchak, whomever, uh, have, have, taken, uh, have taken to heart and implemented. Things like during training camp, the difference between Mike Vrabel or OTAs, uh, since, we're, since we're getting ready for that to start next week. OTAs, the locker room isn't open. It used to be. Uh, so when you're looking for little conversations and little local stories like Brent Stockstill, who played at Murfreesboro High School and then played for his dad at MTSU and is now a tryout player for the local professional football team, well, you're not going to have a chance to talk to Brent Stockstill because he's not one of the six draft picks that they had. He's not going to be trotted out to the podium for the five minutes that you're allotted. Uh, and even then, it's almost kind of like a burden on them because they are uh, not a burden, but it, they, they, it's, it, it feels like they're being inconvenienced to pull them away, pull the players away from whatever it is that they're doing for the allotted media time that we've been given um, since practice has been closed. It makes it more difficult during training camp when you close the locker room. Um, when the players, your, your opportunity to talk with them is as they're coming off the field to practice, so you have to prioritize because there's 90 of them that just scatter shot. Right, and first of all, one thing I've, you know, the one thing that you, I always take away from covering football in my, in my limited time is just, you know, it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world to walk up to a six foot five, 350 pound man and be like, hey, can we chat? Hey, I mean, big. they're just naturally intimidating. Well, especially when they got an attitude like Lawan and they're like, no, kick at, or kick rocks. Get right. the hell out of my face. Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, you know, like, you know, I, it's, it's hard. Hell, you know? Vrabel's one of them. Vrabel's the biggest one out there. <laughs> yes. I will say this before we wrap up that, you know, we're talking about, we've been talking a lot about journalism. One of the greatest descriptions of a person that I think I've ever heard was my, my friend J.R. Lind, who writes for the Nashville scene, Love JR once described Mike Vrabel as a human tribal tattoo. And it is the greatest thing, maybe one of the greatest things I've ever heard, because I can't unsee it. We get, we get uh, I ask for Titans look like, looks like uh, comparisons, and we play that game when the players come on with me. Mike Vrabel looks like he would take a first date to a beer league softball game is something that I will never be able to unsee. And Mike who, Vrabel and who looks, told you that one? Who? Which player told you that it looks like? Oh, no. I got that from somebody on Twitter. Oh, okay. And then we asked, we asked the players oh, okay. if Mike Vrabel looks like uh, the, the, the good cop turned bad in every action movie that's ever been <laughs> with that god-awful mustache that makes him look like a retired porn star. 
Adam Vigan of The Athletic, I have kept you for far too much time. That's uh, okay. Time. I, always enjoy, I always enjoy talking shop. Well, and now we can talk shop more regularly since this is all-encompassing here yes. on the 615 Sessions. Make sure you're following my man on Twitter, at Adam Vingan, reading him on The Athletic, the Preds coverage alone, as well as the Titans uh, with Travis Haney and John Glennon, who does both, is well worth the subscription, my brother. I appreciate you. Thanks, man. Let's go play trivia. All right, let's do it. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for us on this Thursday. Many thanks to our guests, Adam Vingen, Harry Douglas, both great, both entertaining conversations. Hope you enjoyed those. Uh, if you missed any of our previous interviews, be it, uh, who, who have we had on this show? We've had Rashawn Evans. We've had Kevin Byard. We've had Joe Rexroad. We've had Corey Curtis. We've had Jim Nagy, executive director from the Senior Bowl. So many interviews across sports, across uh, the, the month now. I think we're entering the first month of 615 sessions being a new experience. So if you've missed any of our previous interviews, if, if you've enjoyed any of the ones that you heard here today, please make sure that you are rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the 615 sessions wherever it is that you find your podcasts. That way you can access our archives and listen to as much of me and mostly uh, the great guests that allow me to waste some of their time on this show. Uh, you'll be able to get all of those in your podcast feed. Make sure you're leaving five stars on those ratings. Four stars simply makes you a hater, as you will know. Uh, thanks, of course, to Austin Stanley and Zach Bingham, who make all of this possible. A to Z Sports in the morning, weekdays, 8 a.m., live streaming on Periscope and Facebook Live, Nashville's on-demand sports talk show. Uh, the boys are our generous benefactors here at the 615 Sessions. They make all of this possible, and we are very grateful to them, as we are grateful to you for making uh, this humble little program a part of your day-to-day experience. That being said, I'm Buck Rising, reminding you to stay hot, Nashville. We'll talk to you Tuesday when Jimmy Wyatt joins the show of TitansOnline.com here on the 615 Sessions, presented by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. <laughs>